remind you again, our text this morning is Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open there. If you haven't marked your spot already, we're actually going to back up and catch the uh, tail end of chapter 23 for a little bit of context. We'll begin in verse 50 of uh, Luke 23. And I'm going to ask you if you are able to stand for the reading of the gospel as we just give reverence to his word and attentiveness to his voice in it. Reading out of the English Standard Version, listen to the word of the Lord. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was a day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and, the, and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Father, we do thank you now as always for your word and we open it with the belief that it is true and living and active and powerful and we open it with the expectation that you have something to say to us in it. By your spirit, Lord, you can make the word alive to us and you can apply it to us individually, even as one big congregation. Uh, Lord, you can apply your word in very personal ways. And Lord, you know the heart of every person and our needs. And so we ask that you would speak, oh Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory because this is all yours, Lord. But you move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument today to speak to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, as I already suggested earlier, Easter is the highest of Christian holidays because the Christian faith 
uh, hinges on the resurrection. I mean, everything rises and falls on the resurrection, and that's no overstatement. In fact, Paul uh, really says as much himself, but if the resurrection isn't true, we're, we're wasting our time. It, it, Paul uses the language to say, uh, we're of all men the most pitiable. Christians, that is, if our hope is only in this life because we have nothing but a blend of other philosophies and so forth, if that is not true. If it is true, however, Jesus demands our attention. And so everything rises and falls on the resurrection. To be a follower of Christ then means believing that he was crucified, dead, and buried, and that on the third day he rose again from the dead. And we say that periodically in the Apostles' Creed. Well, his disciples had followed him as the Jewish Messiah for three years now. They left home. They left their vocations. They gave themselves to this man and to this cause. They followed him as the Jewish Messiah for those three years, but they did not immediately make the jump, as it were, to believing in him as a risen Messiah. There was, a, there was another track of faith they had to walk, albeit a, a fast one in some cases, but a, a, a track that they had to take to become just followers of this presumed Jewish king to sit on a throne in Jerusalem to believing in this heavenly, eternal king who was Lord over not only Jerusalem, but everything in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones, dominions, or principalities, or powers, all things were put under his command. And, 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 and going to the place of believing that was another track of faith that they had to follow and that really all of us do at one point or another. Maybe a track that some of us, many of us, have already journeyed along to become believers in the resurrection, resurrected Christ. Some, perhaps, that uh, still need to make that journey. But I want to just highlight in this passage here three tracks to faith in the risen Christ. And the first of those I've just called the accelerated track. These are people who are just ready to believe and tell. And we see this illustrated in the first several verses of chapter 24. And I'll go ahead and sort of get to the, uh, one of the important points for many of you. It is, it's only the women who are on the accelerated track. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's still the case today. It just happens to be the case in this particular account. They're the only ones on the accelerated track were the women. And we get some a background information that's really important in chapter 23 because it, it, chapter 24 opens just telling them they went back to the tomb and we get sort of the background in terms of who they are and what had happened prior to that. But it says Joseph of Arimathea had asked for the body, took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, laid it in a tomb, specifically a tomb that was newly cut and a body had never been laid there before. This group of women saw all of that happened. They saw where the tomb was. They saw his body be laid and where it was laid and how it was laid. And since it was evening on the day of preparation, they went on home to prepare 
their spices. The day of preparation was the day before the Sabbath. Um, in, in accordance with the commandments, the Jewish people observed the seventh day as a day of total rest. And so that actually began at sundown on the sixth day from, uh, to sundown on the seventh day. And so as sunset is drawing nigh, the day of preparation is winding down and the Sabbath is getting ready to begin. The day of preparation means, if you're not familiar with that term, that because they were going to rest entirely on the Sabbath day, they made their preparations the day before. They prepared their meals and whatever other preparations they needed to make so that they wouldn't have to do any work. So that's what's going on here, that they, they scurry on back to the place where they're staying in order to prepare spices for his body. The Sabbath is getting ready to begin. And then they rest on the Sabbath. Then on the first day, return to the tomb. And that's where we open in chapter uh, 24. And the women here are the featured characters of this story, really. And all four Gospels report that they were the first to witness the empty tomb. And I would say, just sort of parenthetically, um, that was a detail that does not enhance the credibility of the early Christians. In other words, there's been all kinds of um, stories skeptics have offered as to where the Gospels came from and why they were told and so forth and and, uh, and, and some of those saying that some centuries later it's written by the community of faith to sort of justify where Christianity came from. If that had been the case, they would just leave out the detail that it was women who uh, made this observation. First, because in that culture, the testimony of women was not highly regarded. And so it's just, again, a little bit of a, a parenthetical note. This is this, it happened that way, and all the Gospels recorded it that way. It says when they arrived, they found the stone rolled away and the body gone. They had seen, they'd seen what they were leaving uh, on, on Friday late afternoon and had a picture in mind of what it was they were returning to. But it wasn't the way they left it. The stone was rolled away. The body was gone. They had seen the body placed there and they were quite perplexed, it says, by that. They were at a loss for an explanation would be another way you could translate that word. In other words, when they came and found the body gone, they didn't just immediately assume, well, I'd be doggone if he didn't rise from the dead. That was not their assumption here. They're perplexed and they're going, what, what's going on? And then two angels appear to them. They're described here as just men in dazzling apparel. The word, uh, the Greek word translated dazzling is a word that was used to describe the brightness of a flash of lightning. In fact, if you have the New International Version you read it that way. It describes them as two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning. It was da that dazzling in that way. In other words, he's not describing clothes that are just Clorox clean. He's describing something that is uh, from a heavenly realm. They, they come in the appearance of men and often angels are described that way. And at least one of the gospels does uh, use the word angels um, to describe them. But they see what appears to be men in dazzling apparel who explain to the women that Jesus had risen from the dead 
just like Jesus told them he would. And this is one of those interesting little facts. We read it in the Gospels where Jesus tells them um, in, in fairly plain language, but I suppose because he spoke in parables so often uh, that it just seemed cryptic to them, they didn't really, that didn't register. They didn't, they didn't understand what he meant. That wasn't in their set of expectations of what was going to happen, that his life was going to end this way and that he was going to be raised from the dead. But the angels tell him that and connect the dots for them, and they believe it. Fast track, accelerated track to belief in the risen Lord. And what do they do? They go to tell others. That's instructive to us again as another message. But if we really receive the good news of the gospel as good news, the very natural reaction is to go and tell somebody else. And perhaps when we become complacent or hesitant about that, the good news has ceased to be to us as good as it ought to be. But that's another message for another day. They're eager to go tell others, and so they run to tell the, uh, the other disciples. Of course, the, we, we might mention here that the, re, the report of Christ's resurrection is perhaps easier to believe for these women because they did receive the news from an angel. And um, that, that is, you know, miraculous things don't by themselves make believers out of people. People who are set on unbelief can explain away miracles as well as they can explain away other things. But it may, it may in some way make it easier to have a sort of punctuated spiritual experience that is hard to deny. And that's still the story for lots of people who become believers in Jesus. Not necessarily uh, receiving word from angels in dazzling apparel. That is, That would be called extraordinary if that was your experience. That doesn't normally happen. But what is more common is for people to have some personal spiritual experience. And it can be sudden, momentary, and just absolutely transformational. And, and they can't deny that it happened. And so the truth of the claims of the gospel is, is accompanied by this profound life-changing experience. And it perhaps explains why some people may just get on the accelerated track to whole-scale, whole uh, sold-out belief in the resurrected Jesus. That was the case for these women. They received good news. Their response was to share it. So that's the accelerated track. The second track is delayed. These are people who were inclined to doubt and dismiss. That is, their default setting is to doubt the claims and just dismiss the claims. This is a delayed track or delayed flight. The flight has been grounded until further notice for these people. I'm not going anywhere in the hearts of these people. There is no track. I'm ready to get on. They're inclined toward doubt and dismissal. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who, with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Now, there are things about this passage of the scripture about the resurrection that seem really, really hard for people to believe. What is not hard for any of you to believe is that long, long ago in the first century in the ancient world, that men were stubborn and wouldn't listen to the women. 
But that's exactly the scene here. Now, these are men, keep in mind, these are men, as I said earlier, who have left their home and their livelihood, given themselves over to this man and this cause to follow him. And ultimately, they would become believers in the risen Jesus and they would be martyred for their faith. But their initial reaction to the report of the resurrection was that it was nonsense. It says in this translation, uh, it seemed to them an idle tale. Other translations use the word nonsense. And that, to me, uh, is sort of a better description of how they reacted. It's just babble. Nonsense. Let's see, this has been the reaction of people about claims of the resurrection for the 2,000 years since then, right? Not universally the reaction of people, but that has been all down through the centuries a common reaction to claims that anybody was raised from the dead. And maybe the reaction of some people even here today. They think the resurrection is a myth. Perhaps, even in the most charitable of ways, those people may say it's a, maybe a helpful myth. It has some symbolic value in encouraging people in their faith, but it's, it's just a fairy tale. How could anyone, they would say, how could anyone in the 21st century believe such things? And the point is that it sounded nonsensical and implausible in the first century. That's not a particularly scientific position to say that just seems incredulous. It always did. Because you don't, you know, even in a pre-scientific age, in other words, people had enough experience and observation to know when people die, they don't get back up. It seemed to them nonsense, as it seems to people today, nonsense. These same men who, by the way, some of whom had seen him transfigured into a heavenly appearance, had seen him do all kinds of miracles, walking on water, healing the blind and the lame and the sick, raising Lazarus even. But they think nonsense. His resurrection was more than they could believe. And that's where their pathway to faith in the resurrected Savior began. And for most of them, seeing Jesus in the flesh would be the real change factor. That would seal the deal for them. They would also go and see the empty tomb and so on, but what would really seal the deal for them is they would see Jesus himself. That would make them un unwavering believers uh, out of them. Again, to the death. They could not deny it, even upon threat of death. They believed that claim, that Jesus was raised from the dead, all the way to cruel and unusual executions. But see, they didn't start there. And, and if that, if you fall into that category, one of those people, yeah, that's me. I'm on the delayed track. You, the calling it delayed is nice because I'm, I'm on the, I'm not going down that road at all track. There's nothing you could say to me that would make me interested. There's nothing you could say to me that would make me believe 
and so on. You're on that track. And I would just say if you fall into that category where of being inclined to doubt and dismiss, this passage is for you. And that, that is an encouragement uh, to you because the disciples who had a whole lot more reason than you to believe, they didn't believe either right to start with. And that's one track where people uh, begin, but it doesn't have to be a track where people stay. Hopefully, as they did, some of you who might be on the delayed track would move to the third track, which is the investigative track, I've called it. This is where people are willing to listen and inquire. They might begin at a place of doubt, but they're willing to listen and just inquire. Look at verse 12. It says, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Remember that Peter had denied Jesus three times Thursday night, and he did it in dramatic fashion. I mean, he cursed like a fisherman. He pulled out his old fisherman words, you know, just to make it that much more convincing. He's not, he doesn't know who Jesus is. He's not a follower of Jesus. Denied him, cursed him for saying so, and all that kind of stuff. That just happened to him Thursday night. He had failed ingloriously. But when he heard the report from these women, he gave it a listening ear and just wondered, is it true? Could it be true? And he went to the tomb to find out. And of course, he would see that what they said was corroborated in the sense the stone is rolled back, the body's gone, the shroud is still there, and so on. Again, he would have his own personal encounter with Jesus, a really gracious and forgiving one. Uh, and, and that's in another gospel passage, and again, a great encouragement but he went and checked it out. He was willing to listen to what they were claiming and rather than simply dismissing it as nonsense to go and see, could it be true? Is it true? Well, those remain good and basic questions to this day, right? About any, any number of claims. Is it true? Could it be true? Have you noticed how out of style those basic questions have become? I've commented on this a number of times just in a, in, in a variety of ways that, you know, the trend in public discourse is to abandon discourse, right? If people don't want to dialogue with one another, it's just the, 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 the task is choose your tribe, find out what assertions your tribe makes, and then you repeat those assertions and look online for other people who write that support the point of view that you've already decided to have. That's generally how uh, that, that has replaced critical thinking in the, in the 21st century. And it's replaced uh, dialogue and discourse. Because of just, just the refusal to ask routinely the simple question, but is it true? But is it true? Could it be true? Well, again, people are, have, are and have been inclined to fail to ask those questions about the claims of Christianity as well. 
to just give it a listening ear and say, could it be true? Could it be true? Again, especially to those who come to this service today with a skeptical mind, maybe even having come up in the church and sort of uh, migrated to a place of more skepticism about the claims of Christianity or some of its uh, claims anyway. Could it be true though? Because that's actually the question that matters. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. It doesn't matter what other people think about it. What matters is, is it true? Could it be? And are you willing to ask that question and make an honest inquiry of it? If so, let me mention a few things I think that you'll find along the way that deserve uh, an objective evaluation of. Here's a few uh, truths, I think, that most even non-Christian scholars would agree upon. Number one, that Jesus died by crucifixion. That's generally not debated. People accept that as historical fact. Number two, that his tomb came to be empty. Number three, that his disciples, even those who first called it nonsense, all came to sincerely believe that he was raised from the dead and had appeared to them personally, and they believed it so firmly they were all willing to die for the claim. How did that happen? You might ask yourself, if you're willing to listen and inquire, you might ask that question. How did that happen? That they came from disbelieving and saying it's nonsense to being willing to die for the claim and making it itself. Number four, not only those disciples, Paul, we know as the Apostle Paul, called in the Jewish community Saul, who was the chief persecutor of the church, got his thrills by dragging Christians to jail and seeing them punished for these ridiculous claims. Paul, the chief persecutor of the church, experienced a sudden and dramatic transformation and became the church's chief missionary who who wrote almost half the books of the New Testament. That that is not disputed by almost all scholars. That this man named Paul, or Saul, in his community, was the chief persecutor of the church who had some radical transformation that made him the chief missionary of the church and wrote almost half the books of the New Testament, whose contribution has really uh, shaped Christian theology probably uh, more than any single writer. How did that happen? An honest inquiry might want to ask that question. And then number five, as a, uh, as a man of, of three siblings, I found this one particularly striking, that James, the brother of Jesus, who initially did not believe these claims either, who at one point thought he was maybe going a little crazy, His brother 
came to be the leader of the church in Jerusalem and would even call his brother Lord and himself a bondservant of the Lord. How does that happen? Right? I mean, just if you could just get the siblings to be nice to each other at the dinner table, that's an achievement. How do you get a brother to call his brother Lord? And see, that is not really disputed that James, this man, who's the brother of Jesus, came to be that person. An honest inquiry would invite you, urge you to ask that question and to listen to what the facts say. There are many others that you might discover along the way, but my prayer uh, for any here or elsewhere, your loved ones perhaps even that aren't here today, that even if they are on that delayed, grounded, until further notice kind of track, that perhaps God in his own sovereign grace would, would give them a profound spiritual experience that would move them onto the accelerated track. That's exactly what happened to Paul. On his way to persecute Christians, Jesus changed his itinerary on the spot. He was changed forever, dramatically. It wasn't by persuading him through coffee shop dialogue, although that can be fruitful. He just gave him a profound experience that changed him forever. My prayer would be some would have that experience that would move them from delayed to the accelerated track. That others might just be willing as rational, intelligent thinking people. I actually have a great respect for doubters. I do. I have a great respect for people who, uh, who need for things to make sense and who would have an open-mindedness about investigating claims in that regard. And so I have, a, I have a great respect for that, but particularly those who really do have a mind, an open mind, and make an honest inquiry. And I, I pray that for some, they would be moved onto, onto that track. But in all of it, we all pray that Jesus, today and every Lord's Day and every day in between, that he would be glorified. Because I'll tell you this, I'll assert it not only as my belief, but what is true. He is risen. And he is alive, and not just in some uh, spiritual, nebulous kind of way. The person, the man, Jesus, is living right now. He, he hears us as we talk, just like if you were a child and mama was upstairs and you said, Mama, what? I was just wondering where you were. That's what I used to do to my mom. But see, he is just that alive. His ear is just that attuned to us. He is living now and reigning now and reigning in a way that still turns the world upside down. And he alone deserves the glory for it. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do praise your name and we praise the name of Jesus, Lord. We thank you for this testimony, God, that of all people, of all people, those who knew Jesus the best while he was on earth, who followed him 
for three years that still there was a track they had to walk to become believers in the risen Christ. Thank you for that testimony. That's an encouragement and a help to all of us. And Lord, I do pray that by your spirit, you would move the hearts of people. Even today, not only assembled here, perhaps some watching online, and even in churches all over our city, all over the country, all over the world, as the resurrected Jesus is proclaimed, would you draw people to him in faith and in a way that changes life forever? We ask it in his name. Amen.